This is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It's now Monday, November 16th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, today, as usual, by Sam Bassini, but no Matt Norlander. You might remember, if you listened to last Wednesday's uh, podcast, uh, we were joking. We ended up talking about babies, like, for about 40 minutes. I apologize if you wanted to hear basketball talk. Uh, but um, the reason was because Norlander was expecting his his first child, and by expecting, I mean, wasn't supposed to come for at least a couple more weeks, I believe, um, but he's at the hospital right now. It's Monday uh, morning, and he and his wife went to the hospital uh, Sunday night, so there's a decent chance by the time you're listening to this, uh, Matt Norlander will be a father. There's a 100% chance either way he's not going to be involved, so it's just <laughs> Sam and I, and I, uh, I appreciate you being here, and uh, listen, we've got now, I guess, three days of games uh, underneath us. Started Friday night, then all day Saturday and Sunday. Just mm-hmm. your, in general, takeaway from the weekend. Three days into the college basketball season, what stands out to you? Yeah, I'd say it was kind of weird that we got all of those upsets. Yeah. Um, the, it, like last year, you know, Mississippi lost on opening night. I think there was – I think Missouri lost on opening night last year as well, but – this year it was crazy. We had UCLA losing. We had Georgetown lose Saturday morning. We had uh, a bunch of teams that have legitimate NCAA like tournament hopes go down. And that was very, very surprising to me, at least. Uh, they lost to some teams that uh, are pretty good uh, mid-majors like Monmouth's a pretty legitimate UCLA or mid-major against UCLA. Uh, a Chattanooga might win the SOCON this year against Georgia. But having said that, these are still schools that high major teams with NCAA tournament at large aspirations shouldn't be losing to. No. And I mean, I think the the biggest one, and I don't know that Virginia tech falls into the category of NCAA oh, tournament God. aspirations, but like you just, you don't lose to a SWAC school if you're an ACC school, like period end of story. Right. And so, no, yeah. yeah. Like the, the SWAC, I think has been the worst rated conference in Ken Palm's like conference rankings for the last decade. Right. It, like last year they had, they had one team ranked inside the top, like 220 in the country. It, it was like, that's an unforgivable loss if you're Virginia Tech and Buzz Williams, who again, that team actually has a decent amount of talent. Like Jalen Hudson's a sneaky NBA guy. Uh, they have a couple good freshmen there. Like there's no circumstance where you should be losing that game. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously didn't see the game, but like I, I saw the score and I just, uh, I don't understand how something like like that happens, and I I, I trust it's driving Buzz insane yeah. uh, over the the subsequent days. I was up in Annapolis for the uh, Veterans Classic, just a wonderful couple of days. I got to spend um, a, a lot of Thursday with with Roy Williams, the North Carolina coach, and then of course on Friday night they opened up without Marcus Page. And one of the things we had talked about a lot last year, in fact, I remember you did a blog post on it about what what were the problems with North Carolina's offense and what were the problems specifically with Marcus Page last year. And one of them was that, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the point you made, like they had no shooters anywhere else in the court. and Yeah, couldn't uh, space the floor. Couldn't space the floor. And so like Marcus Page had nowhere to go beyond the fact that he was also like banged up all year, basically all year long. Um, but the reason North Carolina, I, I, I say struggled, but it's only struggled relatively. Like they still ended up being a Sweet 16 team. But the reason they weren't, at least early on, what what most people projected them to be was because they could they could not shoot the ball at all. And mm-hmm. and in fact, as the season went on, and you look at the final stats, um, I think they shot around 34 percent from three point range. It ranked 99th in the country. Marcus Page was the only person who is still in the in the program who. Averaged 
even more than one made three pointer per game. And yet, yeah. um, they made seven, uh, Friday night, um, in a season opening victory against Temple. They made eight yesterday in a blowout of Fairfield. Now, yesterday they didn't shoot it well, like the percentage wasn't great, but as of this moment, they're, they've made 15 three pointers through two games. Um, they're shooting 43% from three point range through two games and they're doing this without Marcus Page. It, is that a good sign? Yeah, definitely. Last year, you know, it wasn't necessarily even the percentage of time that they were making that three point shot. Uh, the problem was that they weren't even taking them. Right. Uh, they, they finished second to last out of 351 teams in the country in three point attempt, uh, percentage, which is basically what percentage of your shots are three point attempts. Um, yeah, they finished second to last in that statistic last year, which means teams were just basically closing down the paint on them and they still weren't taking advantage of that by shooting the three pointer to try and get them to come out of the paint and uh, free up that space for Kennedy Meeks and Bryce Johnson. But yeah, this is definitely a uh, encouraging sign. I would say, I I don't necessarily know that I would make conclusions off of it, but it's encouraging that without Marcus page, who, like you said, is their best three point shooter that they're starting to knock down some shots. I mean, Joel Berry was a guy that shot an intriguingly decent percentage last year. I think he was right around like 35, 36%. Uh, he made five three pointers this weekend. Nate Britt made seven three pointers this weekend. So, uh, if those guys can come along and continue to shoot the ball well from the outside, uh, that would be a really big boon for them. But having said that, I still have my concerns a little bit because both Barry, uh, all of these guys that are making the threes are very much bit players. Like, uh, I want to say that nobody else uh, in North Carolina's rotation took a three outside of Theo Pinson, Nate Britt, and Joel, Joel Barry. Right. Uh, and you figure that at least one of those guys is going to come off the floor whenever Marcus Page comes back. Uh, and, again, you kind of have to assume there's going to be some sort of regression. So I'm optimistic, but I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say, it's fixed, it's fixed. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure it's fixed. It's just, like right. you said, encouraging through two games. Justin Jackson, Marcus – I spent some time with Marcus on Thursday as well, and he told me that Justin – um had had been making shots in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Now he was terrible Friday night. Like I mean, and I don't mean like terrible shooting, but he was just terrible in general. Like he um, he just he did nothing. He did nothing. Now he's obviously talented, but he didn't do anything yeah. for them. But you make a good point when you talk to to coaches, and I, I I've had this conversation over and over because um, of of where I live. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies are here, and they the issue isn't that they're a bad three point shooting team. I mean, that's an obvious issue, but right. the, the the issue in addition to that is that they don't take them. And you talk to people in basketball, making them's great. Taking them is also important, just to, mm-hmm. just for floor spacing. And so, um, as I'm sort of talking off the top of my head here, you know, the, the Grizzlies play a more traditional lineup with two bigs, and 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 they don't really, you know, they don't have a stretch four, and they don't shoot the basketball from the perimeter. Um, North Carolina also plays a more traditional, uh, uh, lineup with, you know, they're big up front. They don't shoot the three pointer. And with the way basketball's going, obviously you can still win that way. They're ranked number one in the country, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not the way basketball is typically played in the year 2015. Well, the thing is like, even in the NBA, I feel like you can get away a little bit more with playing true two traditional posts that can't really shoot. If you also have another guy like Tony Allen, for instance, that can't shoot from the outside, uh, the floor is spaced out just a little bit more because of the uh, increased distance back with the three point line that you can find some little creaks and crevices in the mid range uh, game to where it'll work. 
in college, because the three-point line is so much closer, uh, it's much harder to find that space inside the three-point line. So uh, you really need to have, if you're going to have two traditional posts, you really need to have three guys on the floor who can space the three-point line and uh, actually knock down shots and feel comfortable taking the shots. Uh, it seems like North Carolina might have that this year, which is an incredible boon to where uh, they could go as a team. But uh, like I said, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm not going to conclude anything. It's going to be interesting to see them develop throughout the year in this regard. So that's the number one team in the country, North Carolina. Number two is Kentucky, and um, uh, they are also 2-0 and at this point. And <laughs> yes. Scal Labissiere um, got 26 points in his second game. You wrote a blog post about him that can be found right now at cbssports.com. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you see? Oh yeah, I mean, the first game he kind of sleepwalked a little bit through it in the first half, and then like I, I don't know if you remember this, there was a little bit of a dust up with Alex Poitras and a guy on who was their Albany, I think was their first mm-hmm. opponent. There was like a little bit of dust up, and Poitras ended up like shoving a guy, and it seemed like that kind of clicked like scowl into the game a little bit. Uh, he scored nine points in the second half, and then in the game against NJIT, he was a monster. He scored twenty six points, uh, went like ten of twelve from the field, but you you know. The stuff that you were told about Scalabissier that I've written about uh, back when I saw him at Hoop Summit that I'm sure you've written about in the past because you've probably written more words than <laughs> anyone on Scalabissier at this point. <laughs> I think that's true. Um, the stuff that you saw in high school, it's there. Uh, the incredible fluid athleticism, the mid-range jumper. He was knocking down crazy like turnarounds that uh, with this – ridiculously high elevation, ridiculously high release point that's going to make his shot incredibly hard to block. So like, even though he's not strong enough to gain any sort of post position, even against Albany and NJIT, like they were holding him out to like the 13 foot range. Typically he was still scoring at will. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of him getting stronger and him continuing to develop his body. But you know, the whole package is there. Like he's going to be a beast this year. And I'm really excited to see him play Duke because, you know, Duke has a few defenders, but particularly Emil Jefferson is a guy that could cause him problems to me. Uh, Emil's a really smart defender, uh, strong guy for his size. He's put on a lot of weight in his four years at Duke. Uh, he's mobile, but he's also very long. So I, I think that that's the kind of guy that I want to see Labissier go up against. Uh, and I hope it happens more often uh, on Tuesday. I'm glad you mentioned Duke because they are also 2-0 and and I'm going to the Champions Classic in Chicago. I'm actually flying there uh, Mm -hmm. later on today um, and I can't wait. It is always a a terrific event and in fact I've got a column coming to CBSSports.com just sort of detailing like uh, my basic premise and don't steal this if if you're another writer out there. My basic premise (laughs) is is that tomorrow night in Chicago is going to be awesome because it is always awesome. If you go back and look at the history of the Champions Classic, like it, there is a a really awesome storyline basically every single year. Like in the first mm-hmm. year, 2011, uh, that was the game where Mike Krzyzewski became the winningest coach in, in men's Division One basketball history. And it was a first look on a national stage at Anthony Davis and the eventual national champion Kentucky Wildcats. In 2012, uh, Kentucky lost, even though they were ranked preseason number one. And it was um, sort of a glimpse into um, – uh, you know, oh wow, this might not go as well as, as they, uh, as any of us thought. And that was, mm-hmm. ended up being the Kentucky and IT team. 2013 game, um, you had the one-two matchup between Kentucky and Michigan State. 
you had six McDonald's All-Americans on uh, that Kentucky team. And then you also got the Andrew Wiggins-Jabari Parker matchup. And then last year, you had the future national champion, Duke, involved. Okafor was awesome. Kentucky beat the brains out of Kansas, which was a sign of what they were going to do to a lot of people all year long. So there is something that happens at the Champions Classic every year that gives you mm-hmm. a glimpse to what's going to be a huge storyline um, you know, throughout the rest of the year for college basketball. So um, I, I'm looking forward uh, to getting to the United Center. Uh, but not only to see Scow and to see um, you know, a Kansas team that's ranked in the top five in the country – and, and not only to see uh, a Michigan State team that, um, you know, lost some pieces, but is still a consensus top 15 team, but to see Grayson Allen, my God, what, <laughs> oh my <what's>, God. <laughs> yeah, what, what is going on with Grayson <laughs> Allen? Yeah, he was the CBS Sports Player of the Week this week. That should be posted by the time that this podcast gets released. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's incredibly fun. We kind of saw a glimpse of it last yeah. year in the national title game, didn't we? Uh, he's relentless. He's just going to attack, 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 attack. And the thing with him that's different a little bit this year is the book on him coming out of high school was, you know, the jump shot is coming along, but it's not quite there yet. Uh, the jump shot looked there this weekend. I mean, he scored 27 points a game, uh, four rebounds, four assists, and he knocked down five three pointers, made like 95% of his 19 free throw attempts. Like if he's going to shoot like that and be that kind of athlete, uh, the, the ceiling for that Duke team goes up a whole nother level to me because I was a little bit worried about, you know, how they would score and how they would get in and out of their offensive sets. But if Grayson Allen's just going to be able to create offense at will like that, uh, yeah, I have no idea what to expect with them. He obviously had a breakout in the national championship game, which, uh, for people like us who, who, you know, follow the sport you know, basically 365 days sure. a year. Like we recognize that, okay, that this was crazy what he was doing, but like he's a super talented kid. But from yeah. uh, the casual sports fan, it was like, oh, Duke brought a little white dude off the bench and he's balling out. <laughs> like it's, it's important to remember he was, Grayson a, Allen, yeah, was, go was a, he was a five star recruit, you know, like yeah, he, he's, he's a McDonald's all American. Yeah. Like he's <laughs> just because he's a little white dude, this ain't like Spike coming off the bench from Michigan in the championship oh, no. game. Right, right, right. I mean, this is with all due respect to Spike, who I love, but, uh, um, no, Grayson Allen is talented, but still, like, I didn't expect this. I mean, through, through yeah. the opening weekend of college basketball, um, in terms of players on marquee teams, like, he, he was as, probably, I guess, more impressive than, than anybody else out there. Yeah, I mean, there's one guy that we'll get to probably in a minute whenever you ask me who what else I saw around the country uh, that uh, I would point to. But Allen was ridiculous. I mean, it, the whole story of him just looking like Ted Cruz and being able to come off the bench and just <laughs> out of nowhere and just being this ridiculous athlete who can slam all over everyone is awesome. He's going to be such a fun kid to watch this year. Uh, even though he's like the prototypical dookie, just oh, look sure. at him. He looks like a senator. Um but then he doesn't play like the prototypical Dookie. He's trying to dunk on you. Like, that's what's going to be so different about him. He is the first guy at Duke, like, since maybe Dante Jones, where I just look at him and I'm just like, this guy is going to try and throw down on you every time. He's only 6'4", but it doesn't matter. No, he's going to turn into one of the, uh, uh, frankly, stars of college basketball because, I mean, let's yeah. just be honest with each other. He plays at Duke. That's a good place to start. But also, white kid who looks like a senator. Like that, like that, yeah. you know, sometimes these other things matter. Like, I, I think Jimmer being named Jimmer helped. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm being serious. Like, yeah, if, yeah. if Jimmer were named Jeff... Um, Jeff Fredette, it wouldn't have been the same thing as Jimmer. Like J- having the name Jimmer matters. Um, mm-hmm. Adam Morris's mustache, I think that mattered. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, you know, and, and, you know, being 
uh, you know, a, a white kid at Duke who like will also like try to dunk on you like he's something other than a white kid at Duke, like that's going to resonate with uh, college basketball fans. It just will. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you the truth. And so it'll be interesting to to see if I don't expect he can keep this pace up. But like, um, I, you know, tomorrow night in the United Center, it'll be it'll be fun to watch him. Um, play on that big stage and have an opportunity to go out and get 25 if he can. You know, typically last year, or not typically, every single game last year, he wasn't given an opportunity because of the other guards they had in that um, program to go out and and show this kind of stuff. But now it's it's his place and time to an opportunity to show it. So um, that'll be another fun storyline uh, for the United Center. All right, you asked for it. What else did you stood out from you over the weekend? Can we just like point out that Chris Dunn like threw oh, wow. up a stat yeah. line that literally hasn't been equaled uh in at least the last five years of college basketball? He threw up thirty-two points, six rebounds, five assists, eight steals, and two blocks. Yeah. Uh the closest thing that I could find to that was DJ Cooper, the little guard from Ohio that uh sure. went to the Sweet Sixteen a few years ago. Um he did something like that. He did something like thirty points, ten assists, um, I think something like you know, six rebounds and like eight steals, but didn't have the blocks with it. Like Chris Dunn dominated Harvard in a way that I did not expect anyone to dominate Harvard, even though like they're an Ivy league team. This program has been really, really good for the last, what, five, six years. Um, Harvard couldn't stop him in the second half. He went like seven of seven for 20 points. Uh, he was a freight train in transition. He was pulling like, he legitimately looked like an NBA player, on the floor, just with the way his body is built now, he's a lot stronger. He's a lot like wider around the shoulders and thicker. Um, in the way that he was just crossing guys over, um, the way that he's apparently added a post game to his game, he's added a little bit more jump shooting consistency. It looks like in his release, um, th- th- just everything that made Chris Dunn a potential top 10 pick last year before he tried to return. It looks like he's built upon that and just, He's going to destroy worlds this year. In the preseason, we talked so much about Chris Dunn, specifically about how we came to the conclusion that we just uh, were going to go with Kyle Wiltshire for preseason national player of the year as opposed to Chris Dunn. And I still think that was all rooted in sound stuff. I mean, we we know that, that Wiltshire is going to be uh, terrific on a terrific team. And f- we we knew that Chris Dunn would be terrific, but we weren't sure his team would be good enough to really mm-hmm. put him in a position to be a national player of the year. Uh, it, just one game, so we'll see. But I, I, I'm starting to feel like he's he's just going to be so uh, independently awesome that yeah. it, it it might be a situation where we go, all right, he's got he's on a borderline NCAA tournament team, but my God, the kid's just too good. Like his numbers are just too um, you know off the charts, and possibly like record setting in the in the modern era of college basketball. Like he might, you know, he might just be that statistical monster that you you cannot ignore. Yeah, like uh, like an Evan Turner, for instance, right. at Ohio State. Uh, like I think that they were a two seed even his second year, but like he went like twenty five and five that year that he won uh, National Player of the Year. And uh, I don't, I think that only Nate Walters and AJ English last year have done that, like in the last fifteen years. So like if he did some, Chris Dunn did something like that, it wouldn't be out of the question at all to me. Um, meanwhile, uh, another talented point guard uh, season already over. EC Matthews at Rhode Island torn ACL. About ten minutes into uh, their season opener, just um, just awful. Like you don't wish that on anybody. I mean, even uh, like rival Atlantic Ten fans are just like mm-hmm. you know you don't like seeing. Even if it it might 
make your path to something a little more, a little simpler. Uh, you don't wish that on anybody. I mean, this is a kid who, um, you know, has pro aspirations and, and has pro ability to some degree. And yet, um, 10 minutes into the season, you couldn't wait for. And it's, uh, it's, it's already over. Does that put an end to Rhode Island's, uh, oppor- you know, chances of an NCAA tournament on paper with EC Matthews? Um, they look like a tournament team. Uh, without him, I don't know. I would say it doesn't put an end to it necessarily. Um, it, it certainly puts them behind the eight ball, uh, and they were my favorites to win the Atlantic 10 before the year with him involved. But they have a couple of transfers in Four McGlynn from Towson and Curran Iverson, um, who you're obviously pretty sure. familiar with, um, who they give this team a little bit more of a depth than they had last year and a little bit more of an explosive ability than they had last year on offense. Um, if Danny Hurley can get those guys moving defensively as well, because that's the other thing about EC Matthews. He's a really good defensive player. Um, you can always trust him to kind of uh, make the right reads and make the right rotations and also shut down a guy. Uh, so uh, if you can get those guys involved defensively as well as offensively, and you can get Hassan Martin to be really, really good. Uh, I don't think it's, over for them necessarily. Like I said, I trust Harley real a lot. Like I think he's an incredible coach. I think that he'll get these guys going. But like I said, it really puts them behind the eight ball. Dayton will, we assume, get Dyshawn Pierre back. That'll be a problem. Davidson's still Davidson uh, with Bob McKillop, and that's going to be a really tough out for A-10 teams. Uh, but I wouldn't put them out yet. What do you think? Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't put them out yet if only because it's November 16th, right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, you could have put Dayton out last year, you know, after they had to remove two bigs from the program and you would have looked silly for doing that. So, so let's let it play out. But obviously, um, it's a huge blow. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a massive, massive loss that is, is, if they can overcome it, hats off to Dan Hurley because, um, it'll be a hell of a coaching job. But yeah, yeah, let, let's let it play out. I'm not interested in burying anybody uh, on November 16th, except for maybe Virginia Tech. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think we can bury Buzz's team on that one. Uh, yeah, also good news for Rhode Island. Jarvis Garrett, another guard, uh, who went down with an injury. He might miss a little bit of time, but he's not going to be out for the year like you see Matthew. So, uh, that was a little bit of good news in the, uh, trench of what was a disaster for Rhode Island in their opening game, even though they ended up beating American pretty soundly. All right. Before we get out of here, it is the, um, 24 hours of college basketball is, uh, basically on tap. I think it starts, does it start like late Monday night actually? Like, is that the way this thing works? Yeah, it starts late tonight. I know that uh, Baylor, Oregon is like at 1130 and then BYU, Long Beach State's at like at 1130 Eastern time uh, or no, maybe 130 Eastern time it is. Uh, so, yeah, I think it starts a little bit later um, tonight and then we'll get into all those goofy early morning games that now being on the West Coast that I miss. I think the best one of those is actually Rhode Island playing in it. They play Valparaiso. Um, that'll be an interesting game because both those teams have NCAA tournament aspirations. Valparaiso looked awesome, uh, this weekend against Iona, right. which is another, uh, like top 10 mid-major program. So, uh, Rhode Island's going to get a test there against Valpo. Um, some, I'm trying to think of some other games. Well, you get, you get, classic, obviously. you get Memphis, Oklahoma. That's, uh, tomorrow at five Eastern on ESPN. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a big opportunity as we talked about last week for Josh Pastner to try to, uh, get enthusiasm, enthusiasm back into the program, uh, to underline that, like Memphis opened the season on Saturday night against Southern Miss. Uh, I believe about 4,000 people were at FedEx Forum. Now, some of that was because the Tiger football team was also playing on television. So like a lot of folks, I'm assuming just decided to stay home and watch, but still, yeah. 
um, to go from, you know, just a couple of years ago, 18,000 in there basically for any game and now 4,000 for your season opener. It, 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 it underlines and highlights the, uh, uh, relative lack of enthusiasm for, for Memphis basketball right now. But if you could be the top 10 team at home, you can get a lot of that, uh, back. And then obviously, um, you get the champions classic that is, uh, Kentucky versus Duke followed by Kansas versus Mich- Michigan State. So the, the better of the two games, both great games, but the better of the two games, probably the undercard game, uh, Kentucky Duke. Uh, then of course you get Georgetown, Maryland, which is, uh, yeah. massive in, in that part of the country. I mean, it's two national brands, but massive in that part of the country because it's Georgetown, Maryland. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're separated by what, probably about 30 minutes, uh, but 25 mm-hmm. minutes and they haven't played in forever. So, uh, or they haven't scheduled regular season games in forever. So that'll be a, a big matchup. And then the other one that I think sneaky good, Wichita State at Tulsa. Yeah, that's a pretty good game. Tulsa's a borderline contender in the American. Uh, they should certainly be contending for an NCAA tournament bid this year, and that's at Tulsa. So, you know, I, I could see a circumstance where Wichita goes there and doesn't come away with a win. So that, that should be a fun one, yeah. Um, and then, of course, the other ones involved, uh, you get Nebraska, Villanova. I don't know if Nebraska is equipped to, to go play that game. Notre Dame gets, uh, Milwaukee and then, uh, Connecticut against, I guess it's New Hampshire. Those are the, uh, top 20 yeah. games involving top 25 teams. Well, uh, Wisconsin's that- also in there too. Should we also Woo! note what happened to Wisconsin this what, weekend? What, uh, boy, um, I, I think we all knew they were going to miss Frank Kaminsky and, and uh, Sam Decker, I don't know that we thought they were going to miss those guys as well as some others um, as badly as they seem to have missed them in the opening weekend. Yeah, uh, if you missed it, Wisconsin lost to Western Illinois. Um, yeah, that sounds ridiculous on the surface, but it's probably even worse whenever you take into account that in the preseason poll of the Summit League where, you know, they get coaches, SIDs, media to vote on the standings for the league preseason-wise, uh, Western Illinois was last in the summit league coming into the year. And that's the team that just beat Wisconsin. Um, Like you said, Sam Decker, Frank Kaminsky, but honestly, those other guys that uh, you didn't mention, those are the guys that stood out to me being gone. Uh, You know, they had to bring in Ethan Happ, Vito Brown, uh, Zach Showalter. Those guys are, uh, you know, maybe they'll be there by the end of the year, but you know, having to replace guys like Duye Dukin, who's somehow on an NBA roster right now, uh, Trey Jackson, Josh Gosser, uh, like all of that group, I think is the harder, it's not the harder part to, uh, replace, but it's the, it's the part that they probably didn't anticipate having to replace. And there's a difference between throwing in these four older seniors and throwing in guys that have never played before, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think Bo has been uh, one of the I – mean, not. I don't think – it's for sure. He's been one of the most consistently um, winning uh, – consistent winners in college basketball. Um, they never really slip. And yet I, I wonder how many times – I don't think it's been often – he's had to replace this much, not just to – you know, uh, you know, the first round draft picks, but like other pieces. And, um, you know, Duke can lose this type of, uh, talent off of one team because they're Duke and they, they, you mm-hmm. know, they'll go sign a, a, a top two recruiting class and be fine. Same thing at Kentucky. Um, but like a Wisconsin, it, you, you, it's not really the type of place that is, uh, stocked with young talent to be able to endure, uh, all of the losses that, that they, that they're having to endure. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they have some young guys there that might be interesting. Uh, Khalil Iverson is uh, a kid from Ohio that's 
pretty good. Brevin Pritzel uh, played a little bit. They have another big guy with a strange name that I don't know how to pronounce yet. Um, they're, they're freshmen and they might be able to come around eventually. Plus, like I said, uh, Ethan Happ was a guy that they were pretty excited about coming into the year. Zach Show Walter played a little bit in the national title game. Vito Brown, same thing. Um, and maybe these guys will come along but it's right now it's kind of a struggle it's it's hard to imagine them uh continuing the top four streak that bo ryan has in the big ten it looks that way right now all right let's get out of here remember you can subscribe to the ion college basketball podcast on itunes it's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episode so make sure to do that and either way i suppose we will talk again on wednesday like i said i'm headed to chicago uh for the champions classic i'll be there tuesday night i'll be traveling wednesday so the timing might be a little I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we will talk again post-Champions Classic before uh, the weekend. Uh, Till then, uh, take care and good luck, Matt Norlander, if you're listening, on having that, uh, that first child.